Genesis 37, verse 5. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and brothers indeed come down to bow before the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, turn to me, same uh, book, Genesis, to Genesis chapter 39 and verse 6. Genesis 39 and verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome. In form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast his eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in this house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me, except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in his hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house... She called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to, to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as I heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left the garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up the garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the very same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as the master heard the words of his wife sp spoken to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend upon my tongue that I'll be cleansed that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. I pray that this will be life-changing for someone in this place, never to be the same again. And may it be a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it possible that there is someone here that because you did the right thing, everything went wrong from then on? Is it possible that there's someone here today, you are in trouble, you're in difficulty, all because you did the right thing? Now we're in a series of messages on defining moments looking at certain people in the Old Testament. And I want to deal today with Joseph, this week and next. Defining moments in the life of this man, and how today 
His dreams were shattered. Is it possible? There's someone here. You had dreams that gave you such hope. And now everything has gone wrong and you've begun to question everything. Well, this is a message for you. Now, we're going to see that Joseph, who was the favorite son of Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, Joseph was his favorite, and Joseph uh, was a spoiled child. You could say a very arrogant young man. His father did something very questionable, gave him this coat of many colors, richly ornamented coat. The only thing worse than giving it was wearing it. And Joseph wore it, strutted around, and made his brothers so angry. Now we're going to see. Joseph could not have known that he had been earmarked to be prime minister of Egypt down the road. He had no idea what his future was. And what I want us to see this week and next, what did it take in the way of preparation to make it possible not only for Joseph to become prime minister of Egypt, but one day he would say, God meant it for good, referring to everything that happened. Well, what would it take for you to be prepared for that which you've been earmarked for? I want you to know every single person in this place, God has a plan for you. And you could not realize that you've been earmarked for something down the road. And what you may not be aware of, that you are being prepared for that even this very day. And I want to say further that one day you will be able to say, referring to the whole of your life, the day will come that you will be able to say, God meant it for good. The question is, what is the kind of preparation you need? How long is it going to take for you to be able to say, God meant it for good? Well, today we look at the defining moment in Joseph's life, and it had to do with these dreams he had, and the way his brothers reacted to the dreams. Now, uh, when it comes to dreams, if we're to listen to Sigmund Freud, a dream is an unexpressed desire. Uh, it's what unconsciously you hope will happen, and therefore you have this dream. And when it comes to Joseph's dreams, clearly they indicated that one day his brothers, 11 of them, would bow down to him. Now, what's the explanation for a dream like that? Well, you could say there was a natural explanation. It was a wish fulfillment. He wanted his brothers to admire him. He knew they hated him. But I mean, you couldn't blame them. After all, they were regarded as second class by their own father. This man, Jacob, was one of the worst fathers in the history of the human race. And the way he treated his sons, and he was doing Joseph no favor. And now Joseph longed for the admiration of his brothers. And so if he gets a dream that says one day his brothers are going to bow down to him, you can say, well, why wouldn't he have a dream like that? Wouldn't we all like to be admired? Perhaps there's someone that you wish would admire you. You're looking for their approval. Maybe a parent, maybe an authority figure, maybe an old friend. And unless that happens, you're not going to be fulfilled. Well, Joseph wanted the admiration of his brothers. And so he has these dreams. But then there's another explanation. What if God was actually behind the dreams? True. They did play into his ego, his self-esteem. They pandered to the very fact that he wanted to, but believe it or not, God did give 
Joseph those dreams. You think, well, that seems unfair. Uh, Joseph is spoiled. Uh, if God is going to give out gifts, you know, spread them out. Don't give them to somebody who's already favored by his dad. But, you know, Joseph didn't deserve these, these gifts of, of dreams. Um, but the truth is, that's, that's just the way it was. Uh, how would you feel if uh, God gave you a dream and it played into the very thing you hoped would be true? Well, if that's the case, you wonder, is it really of God? Well, God did give Joseph these dreams. Now, I'll tell you something very interesting. God often plays into our natural desires to get our attention. He often speaks to us in terms of self-interest. He said to Abraham, said, I want you to leave your country, go to the land where I will tell you. And then he added, oh, by the way, I will make your name great. I think Abraham thought, oh, I like that. What if God had not said that? Would Abraham have still gone? Probably. But the fact is, God did give Abraham that. Or in the case of Moses, two weeks from now we'll be looking at Moses. You know, the same thing. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, what motivated Moses, he saw the reward coming down the road. Now, speaking of reward, is it possible that someone here, you thought you would be rewarded for doing the right thing, but instead you were not rewarded, and everything horrible turned out as a result. Well, now we'll look now at this man, Joseph, and uh, we see that uh, he knew, in fact, that those dreams were of God. He knew that. And yet, what he couldn't have known is, the dreams were not for Joseph's own sake. As far as he was concerned, the day would come, those brothers would bow down to him. And he thought that God gave him those dreams so one day he could look at those 11 brothers and say, gotcha. He wanted them to bow down to him. That's what he lived for. What he couldn't have known is that even though they played into his self-interest, God gave Joseph those dreams because the greater glory of God was at stake down the road. That's the real reason. And you may not realize that what you've been earmarked for is not just for you. It's the wider church, the greater glory of God. Now, there was nothing wrong with Joseph's gift. When it came to dreams, he had the gift. He also had a gift of interpretation of dreams. The gift was perfect. Didn't need to be improved. But there was a lot imperfect about Joseph. And he needed some improving. And it could be that you have a particular gift, a specialty, an expertise, unimprovable. But there's something wrong with you. And you're not ready. And you need some sorting out. Well, in order to get our attention, God appeals to things that interest us. Actually, it was Martin Luther who said, God uses sex to drive a man to marriage, ambition to drive a man to service, fear to drive a man to faith. Well, God has a plan for you. Victor Hugo said, like the trampling of a mighty army, so is the force of an idea whose time has come. If I could paraphrase that, like the trampling of a mighty army, so is the force of one's anointing whose time has come. And you see, everyone has an anointing, every one of us, a gifting, an expertise. God has given it to you. But that anointing needs to be refined. And you may think you're ready, but the truth is we all need to have our anointing refined. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, the worst thing that can happen to a man 
is to succeed before he's ready. And it may be you think you're ready, but you're not ready. The truth is, you need time. Well, Joseph's dreams were shattered. One day, Jacob said to Joseph, go check on your brothers and see how they are. So Joseph, who had never done a day's work in his life, has a little duty to perform. He goes looking for his 11 brothers. Actually, at the time, there were only 10. But the point is, he went to check up on his brothers. And the brothers saw him coming. You know what they said when they saw him? Here comes the dreamer. Joseph made a huge mistake. And that is, he told the dreams to his brothers. Now, how do you think it would make you feel if someone said to you, one day you are going to bow down to me? Didn't bother Joseph, he told him. Not very wise. The truth is, God may show us a lot more if we could keep quiet about it. But we can't. And so we withhold so much. Psalm 25, 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Maybe if you could keep quiet, God would share something with you. He did with Joseph. He couldn't keep quiet. And now... As Joseph gets closer, they said, here comes the dreamer. And then they had one thing on their mind. Wonder what would happen to his dreams if we just never had to see him again. They plotted to kill him. And the only reason they didn't, one of the brothers said, let's not shed blood. And about that time, well, they threw him into a pit where he couldn't escape on his own. Ishmaelites turned up at that moment and they thought, ah, this is convenient. We will sell him to the Ishmaelites. They made some money on the deal. And now Ishmaelites take Joseph to Egypt. But Joseph doesn't know where he's going. And it's a very sad moment. And this was the first thing as a defining moment in the life of Joseph, the beginning of his refinement, his refinement, he couldn't have known that those dreams, though they were of God, won't be fulfilled for a good while. I wonder, if there, is there someone here? You were given a word, prophetic word. Maybe you had a vision. Maybe you had a dream. And you think... How long is it going to be? And you cry out, how long? How long? Charles Spurgeon once said, if I knew I had 25 years left to live, I'd spend 20 of it in preparation. How many of us would be like that? I think when I was 19, 20 years old, if you had told me that some of the visions I had, I'd have to wait as long as I did, I'm not sure I could have coped. I thought I was ready then. Couldn't have told me I needed more preparation. I'm ready. I've got the anointing. Maybe you felt that way. You do have an anointing. You've got a great gifting. Nothing wrong with your gifting, but a lot wrong with you. And you need some sorting out. And it would be many years before those dreams would be fulfilled. Well, let's look at the stages of Joseph's preparation. Stage one, no advanced warning concerning his greatest trauma. How would you feel if your own flesh and blood are going to take you and kill you? No warning. Trauma. No dream to forecast it. You think, wait a minute, Joseph, you're the man who has dreams. Are you telling me that this could happen to you and you didn't have some warning? You know, we sometimes think if a person has a prophetic gift that they know everything. They have dreams, they're warned of everything. 
sometimes God does give us warning, but usually not. If only he would say, look here, next Thursday afternoon, about four o'clock, uh, here's what's going to happen to you. Uh, your life's going to change, not going to be very pleasant. Or if Joseph had been told, now Joseph, your brothers are going to come and get you next Wednesday, 10 o'clock in the morning. They're going to handcuff you. Joseph could say, well, I'm ready for it. God doesn't do that. No advance warning. Suddenly, even though you were walking with him, you were doing everything you could to please him. And you do get warnings from time to time, but not this time. All of a sudden, trauma. No advance warning. Stage one. Stage two. When God puts his finger on your sore spot. Have you ever thought of having a sore spot? It's not sore to you. It's sore to everybody else. They don't like you because of something about you rubs them the wrong way. And what was Joseph's sore spot? It was that richly ornamented coat, coat of many colors. When I get to heaven, I want to see what did that look like. But these brothers could not stand that sore spot. And I myself can remember years ago having a sore spot, but I didn't think about it at the time. Uh, 19 years old, student at Trevecca Nazarene College in Nashville, Tennessee, called to preach. I'm offered a church 110 miles away, college in the week, weekends at my church in Palmer, Tennessee, two-hour drive. How am I going to get there? Well, my grandmother bought me a brand new 1955 Chevrolet. Now that date, probably you can't identify with because most of you weren't born then. <laughs> but I was 19 years old and my grandmother brought me a brand new 1955 Chevrolet. We now live in Nashville. And I go by that same Chevrolet dealer all the time. I say to Louise, there's the, there's the Chevrolet dealer where I never will forget going in and getting the car that my grandmother gave me. At those days, Trevecca had 400 students. How many students do you think had their own car? Back in 1955, I was about the only one. And I can imagine now, I should have thought of it then, how it must have made other students feel. It was a sore spot. Stage three, the shock of seeing how frail, changeable, and sinful people are. Have you got a lofty view or you look at people through rose-colored glasses, you think they're all so nice and sweet, especially those that appear to be spiritual and godly? Have you ever had the shock of finding out the person you admired most wasn't what you thought they would be? Well, my dad, most godly man I ever knew, 30 minutes on his knees praying every day before he goes to work, my grandmother, intercessor prayer, oh, she produced prayer for people. They always came to Mother Kendall. That was what they called her. If you had a prayer request, my godly grandmother. Now, while I'm at Trevecca pastoring this church, I have a supernatural experience with God. Some of you have heard me tell about it. Don't have time to go into it today, but where the Lord Jesus was more real to me than any of you. My theology changed. My perspective changed. And I thought when I go back home in Kentucky, they hear about this wonderful experience and change of theology that my dad is going to say, glory to God. But they weren't blessed. They weren't pleased at all. My grandmother took the car back. <laughs> Like, how could she do this? 
why, if she's so close to God, how come she doesn't know that I'm closer to God than ever? How come God hasn't shown this to my dad? And I began to see the best of people, closest of relatives, can let you down. Joseph wasn't prepared for his brothers to be like this. Stage four. When God brings you to a place of apparent despair. Joseph was put in a pit, a cistern, no way out, forsaken by his relatives, disappointing to everybody, and now it's the end for Joseph. Is there one here today? You are in a pit. And there's no way out. And you've been let down by people that you admired so much. I've lived long enough to conclude every person that I've ever known that I began to admire a little bit too much sooner or later disappointed me. Don't put your confidence in man. Even the best of people, they are going to disappoint you. Well, stage four, you're in a pit and there seems to be no way out. But the truth is, in this case, because the Ishmaelites turned up, the brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit. He's now in chains. They give him to the Ishmaelites. Stage five, when God brings you to a point of no return, when you could not go back to the former way of life, even if you tried. And so the Ishmaelites now carry Joseph away. I don't think the brothers even bothered to say goodbye. They probably didn't want to look. But Joseph doesn't get a chance to say goodbye even to his dad. He couldn't have known that when his dad said, check on your brothers, that would be the last time he would see his father for 22 years. And so, no chance to say goodbye, father. Goodbye, Canaan. Good morning, Egypt, his new home. That was his future. Perhaps you here know the feeling that you cannot go back. And it's because someone wanted to see what would happen to your dreams if this happened, that happened. Here comes a dreamer. Let's see what happens to his dreams now. They'll get rid of Joseph. That means no way could those dreams be fulfilled. I wonder if you see a parallel between what happened to Joseph and the reason the Jews crucified Jesus. Do you want to know the reason that the Jews could crucify Jesus and not feel one bit of guilt? Do you want to know how they could do it? No problem. They said, if he is the Son of God, God won't let him be crucified. So they just said, let's see what happens. So they start nailing in the nails. The Roman soldiers do it. And the Jews are watching. Let's see what happens now. Then they hoist the cross up into the air, drop it into a hole in the ground. And they begin to say, hey, son of God, come down from the cross. Because they figured if he really is the son of God, he'd come down. And did you know that Isaiah the prophet saw this hundreds of years in advance? He saw that the people of Israel would crucify Jesus. And you know what Isaiah saw? They said, we considered him smitten of God. In other words, God did it. 
God did it. He was accused of blasphemy, saying he's the son of God. This is blasphemy. He deserves to die. And if he dies, he's getting what he deserves. So the fact that he died, they said, good. What we did was right. This is what he deserved. No guilt, no guilt. That's the reason the Jews could crucify Jesus and feel no guilt at all. Stage six. Joseph now is learning something different. And that is to get his joy from the presence of God alone. Well, here's what we read. So Joseph is taken to Egypt. They, the, the Ishmaelites make a profit. They just bought Joseph from the brothers. They made money. Now the Ishmaelites make a profit. They find an Egyptian officer who's looking for a slave. So they sell Joseph to an Egyptian officer. And we read one thing in Genesis 39, verse 2. Very important verse. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph had the presence of God. And he's going now to learn to cope with that alone. Could it be that I'm speaking to someone very lonely right now? But God says, you've got me. Well, I do. Perhaps you've been rejected by parent, authority figure, those who could change your life for good, and they don't want to have anything to do with you. And you are like totally alone, foreign country, nothing familiar. But God says, you got me. Well, I do. Well, that's all Joseph had. And he's going through a stage where he has to learn to get his joy from God's presence alone. Well, here it is. It would make all the difference in Joseph's new life because God was with him. In fact, Joseph did so well that he was not only promoted, and you've got to keep in mind, Joseph never worked a day in his life. And now he's promoted and he's put in charge of Potiphar's entire household. Because Potiphar was so impressed with Joseph. The Bible says Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. And so now Joseph is promoted. He's running the whole household. How much do you suppose this excited Joseph? Not a bit. He wasn't enjoying this. The irony is that Joseph was a success where it meant nothing to him. Joseph only lived for one thing, and that was for that dream to be fulfilled. That's all he lived for. He wanted his father's approval. He wanted his brothers to have to say, you were wrong. He wanted the brothers to have to bow down to him. And so the fact that he's living in Egypt, secure, promoted, meant nothing to him. What if someone said, Joseph, I have a way of getting a message back to your dad. And we'll tell your father that you're now in Egypt and you're running the household of an Egyptian officer. How does that make you feel, Joseph? Joseph would say, wouldn't do anything for me because that wouldn't do anything for my father. My father would not be impressed. My brothers would laugh if they heard I'm running an Egyptian household. And so there was a time when nothing could give Joseph any satisfaction at an outward level. He just had to get his joy from the presence of the Lord alone. You know, when I came back to Kentucky with this new theology, 
sense of God, my dad said, son, do you know your problem? What? You've broken with God. No, dad. Oh, no, I'm closer to God than ever. No, you've broken with God. Okay, R.T., give me one evidence that God is with you. Well, I had some visions in those days, and I said, well, I can tell you now, God's going to use me. One day I'm going to have a ministry that will go around the world. I'm going to have an international ministry. Well, Dad said, that, I like that. When? One year from now. Okay, one year from now. Will you put that in writing? Sure. Dad went out and got a sheet of paper. I.R.T. Kendall. Well, from the date below. Be an international ministry. (laughs) You know, I didn't mind signing. I was being a conservative. I thought it would happen in two months. A year later, I wasn't even in the ministry. Five years later, do you know what I was doing? I was going up to strange doors. Hello. I'm R.T. Kendall. I've come to show you something new and different for your home. (laughs) While my fellow students at Trevecca were out pastoring churches, I was a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. (laughs) And the interesting thing was, I made good money. I really did. I was good at it. And I would sell people vacuum cleaners that weren't in the market for them. And I I, I had a nice car, nice home. It did nothing for me. And they would go up to my dad and say, Mr. Kendall, how is your son R.T. doing? Oh, he's working as a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. Mr. Kendall, R.T., how is he? What's he doing now? Uh, He's working as a (laughs) door-to-door. You didn't hear me. How is R.T.? What's he doing? He's working as a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. (laughs) It was so hard on my dad. It was so hard on me. I got nothing out of that. It was horrible. The money I was making meant nothing. And so, the only thing that would have made me happy was vindication. The only thing that would satisfy Joseph is the fulfillment of his dream. So cut off from Canaan, succeeding where sex success meant little to him. He didn't want to succeed in a country that had no meaning for him. He wanted vindication back in Canaan from his old friends, his childhood acquaintances, family. Joseph had to put vindication on the back burner. He had to learn to get his joy from the fact that God was with him. And sometimes we do better work when our ego is not so involved. Stage seven, sexual temptation. We're almost never prepared for temptation. It often comes from out of the blue. There are different kinds of temptation. There's intellectual temptation. Just before the service this morning, I I talked to Ahmed, who's the Muslim, converted to Christ a few years ago. Supernatural conversion. And he's since uh, done a degree at Roehampton University. And I said, did you have intellectual temptation? Oh, yes. His faith was challenged. I mean, severely challenged. A lot of people go into university having been brought up in a Christian home and they're Faced with new ideas, philosophy, even when you go to seminary, some of them. Challenge whether Moses wrote the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, so forth, and other things. And people sometimes lose their faith. 
intellectual temptation, or there's financial temptation. When you are short of funds and are tempted to bend the rules, you go deep into debt when you have no way of paying. You don't tell the truth to the inland revenue. You lie about your income. And the worst scenario, if you steal. I've not brought this sermon today to make anybody feel guilty. But if you've stolen money, you need to put it right. Or you'll have no peace and no spiritual victory. Be sure your sin will find you out. Some years ago, evangelist J. John was preaching in Bristol Cathedral for several nights. And they began to see true revival. And they had to have a big can for people to come and put money in it, notes, forward this to a certain person, putting finances right. Made the front page of the Times the next day. Because when revival comes, lives change. There's a thing called restitution. Be careful. Financial temptation can make you do things that you would regret. But then it's only a matter of time that we will all be tempted at a sexual level. And you never know how strong you will be. The need for sex is physical as well as psychological. We are created by God to have sexual desire. And for this reason, it is easy to rationalize sexual temptation and say, well, God understands. He knows my need. He knows my weaknesses. And so in my case, it's okay what I'm about to do. Be careful, that's the devil. The most likely person to reason that way would be Joseph. Because one day he wasn't prepared for the fact that Potiphar had a wife. She was probably an upper middle class person, was fashionable, enjoyed the good life. Potiphar was wealthy, he had servants, he was an officer, maybe he was away from home. A Hebrew slave knew his place in a society like that. We're told Joseph was well-built and handsome. Normally, men are attracted by sight, a woman by flattery or physical touch. But this time, it was Potiphar's wife who was attracted Joseph to Joseph's appearance. He had not laid a finger on her but she began to flirt with him and said, go to bed with me. Go to bed with me. Day after day after day. And Joseph would say, no, no, no. And what do you suppose was the reason Joseph said no? In my pastoral experience, I would make the observation that most people avoid an affair for one reason. They're afraid they might get caught. Joseph now had the earmarks of the perfect affair. He's away from home. She's not going to tell her husband. Nobody back in Canaan would find out. He's lonely. And he could say, God, I don't deserve to be here. What happened is unfair. And if ever there was a case that you would justify it, Lord, surely this is the time. But you know what Joseph would say back to Potiphar's wife? First of all, your husband trusts me. And second, God knows. God knows. That's why he refused to do it. And he probably felt nothing. In fact, it was so hard that when she began to flirt with him and he says no, she grabs his cloak and he runs. Why does he run? That's because 
it wasn't easy. He ran. But she had evidence now. And when her husband comes home, she tells a horrible lie. Says that Hebrew slave tried to rape me today. Here's his coat. I grabbed it as he was leaving. The result was that he was put in prison. Joseph was. You see, he didn't realize he was being tested, that all heaven was watching. The angels were watching. But it was an unconscious testing. Maybe there's someone here. You're not aware. You're being tested. You've been earmarked for something down the road. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You feel nothing. No sense of God. You just have to stand by a principle. And Joseph refused. And the angel said, yes. And he passed that test. And maybe there's someone here. You are being tempted right now, and it's not easy. Perhaps you're away from home. Maybe you're lonely. And it's not easy. But I would urge you, don't give in to what is Contrary to Holy Scripture, you'll be so glad you didn't give in. And maybe God has brought you to this moment to hear this word. And if there's someone, and I've said this before in this same room, if you're in an affair right now, or you're thinking about having one, I would say to you on bended knee, stop it now. It's only a matter of time you'd give any amount of money to turn the clock back to this moment because there's still time to be out of it. Stop it. Well, Joseph passed the test. You see, he didn't realize all heaven was watching We come now to the final stage. Stage eight. Being falsely accused. Have you been falsely accused? Have you been put, as it were, in a dungeon? And there's no way of defending yourself. And now, here is Joseph. Innocent. Lied about. The thanks he gets, the reward for doing the right thing. He's put in prison, and it was a dungeon. Have you ever noticed, noticed this verse? 1 Timothy, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. It is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. You say, well, I've suffered. I did the right thing. And God hasn't come to my rescue. Look at Joseph. He's a foreigner. He's a Hebrew. He's away from home. Nobody in Egypt would testify on his behalf. Nobody cared. No relatives. No friends. Nobody. He's in a dungeon. And the outlook is so bleak. But the Lord was with Joseph. And the day will come. Joseph will say, God meant it for good. I'll tell you another interesting irony. Did you know that Joseph never was vindicated? No, it wasn't because Potiphar's wife comes along and says, Oh, I didn't tell the truth. No, no. It's the Pharaoh who interprets a dream of Joseph and makes him prime minister. Joseph was never cleared of this charge. 
And you may feel that because there's a skeleton in your cupboard or a bad mark on your past, you think, God can never use me now. God can overrule anything. He's not finished with you yet. And whatever you have gone through and are going through now, I promise you, the day will come that you'll be able to say, God meant it all for good. I'm basically finished, but I need to say this. There are certain things that need to happen before you can say God meant it for good. Next week, I'm going to go into the next defining moment for Joseph when he showed total forgiveness toward his brothers. Bring your friends who have any problem with forgiveness or bitterness. Have them here next week. But in your case, if you don't know for sure that if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven, you could never say God meant it for good. For the next step for you, I ask you, if you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? When Jesus was on the cross, and they said, come down from the cross. What you wouldn't have known is that while on the cross, all of our sins were put on Jesus as though he were guilty. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our sins were put on Jesus. So that the moment we give up any hope in our good works, but transfer our trust to what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know what happens? The righteousness of Jesus is put to your credit as though you're just as righteous as Jesus is. That's all because you trust his blood, not your good works. Would you be willing to pray this prayer? Most of you have prayed it. But if there's anyone here, you've never prayed this prayer, listen carefully. If you can say this, Say it to God, not out loud. Don't even need to close your eyes. He'll see your heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how. I give you my life. That's it.